The following podcast may contain adult language and conversations revolving around situations not suitable for immature audiences. Spoilers and general political incorrectness can often be expected, so listener discretion is advised. They must be destroyed on sight! we're back they must be destroyed on site episode i believe we're 62 now yeah 62 I think was 61 so you know yeah sure 62 62 official episodes now uh we've been uh, sort of on hiatus for two weeks sort of uh i am your host lee russell and i'm joined by my co-host daniel harper how you doing sir i'm doing just great thanks for asking awesome <laughs> i don't have a funny joke for that today you know i, I never have a funny joke but sometimes i have like a, an amusing little thing. But yeah, I, 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 I really count on you for bad jokes, and you couldn't even provide I, I, a bad joke after I, two weeks. I, I didn't even tell a terrible joke about uh, the Facebook group, because I haven't been on our Facebook group that much lately, <laughs> and I feel really bad about that, because no, that, that's right. no. pushing traffic towards this wonderful Facebook group that we have, and then like at least tell a little joke about it, and then I don't. That's all right. No one's been on our Facebook group for the last two weeks, so it's okay. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Apparently, we're shitty podcast hosts and refuse to actually put out content for our listeners. Yeah. Well, like, once you get people into the cycle of, like, a podcast a week, they they start expecting stuff. And then when you don't provide it, they just, like, they just throw you away. Disposable. Yeah. They're no longer interested in anything we have to say. It's just like, you know, if you dance for me, monkey, or else you're you're gone. That's pretty much the way our audience treats us. So, you know. I still appreciate our audience. You know, the one or two people who are probably still listening at this point. Thank you very much. Yeah. People that I know personally and pay personally to watch this, to to listen to this podcast. Yeah. All all the people who are, all the people who are, you know, uh, on the other side of the paywall getting the exclusive content that, all you other plebes don't get. Exactly. God damn, we need a paywall. Uh, <laughs> you know what I hate, Lee? The post office. Stamps.com. <laughs> uh, check out our podcast on audibletrial.com. Yeah. No, no. Fuck that. Go to squarespace.com for your free tri- trial. Yeah, they can they can make a goddamn website for you, bitches. Uh, yeah, yeah. yeah, Paul may or may not join in. He was talking to me about trying to join in on his phone. So if he pops in, he will pop in. But otherwise, we're just gonna go on and hopefully he can sort out his shit. If he doesn't show up this week, hopefully next week. I'm looking forward to talking to Paul. I don't talk to Paul anymore unless unless I only talk to Paul professionally on this show. Paul has cut off most of his social media co- contacts at this point. Like he's he is very exclusive now. He's exclusive content. It, if you if you go past the paywall, you will get more Paul. But <laughs> otherwise, it's not going to happen. <laughs> but yeah, we're we're back. We're we're still doing our little bit of a sci-fi break. We still got one more episode in this sort of little sci-fi break that we're going to do. Uh, it's not going to happen next week because I have to work next week a lot. So it's probably going to be a week after after this. Um, unless we can maybe do it on Wednesday. I don't know if we can work that out or not. But uh, well, We could probably work something out. Okay. We'll, we'll, we'll talk about it not on the air. <laughs> 
Yeah, yeah. Because I know you wouldn't edit it out. Like, we can have that conversation later. Yeah, I, I just don't want to promise things to uh, the listeners because I, I know we do actually. I, I will I will commit to, if Lee cannot get an episode out, I will put out a, an intermission episode for Lee. Okay, well, good, good. Because uh, I, we, we do joke around, but we do know we, we do have an audience and we appreciate them. So uh, we, we do try to get something out every week when we can. I'm going to do a, a personal discussion of the Devil and Miss Jones Resurrection 2010 film with mm-hmm. Belladonna. Okay, that no, sounds I'm good. Not actually... <laughs> I might, I might for you fuckers. We'll see. Well, you should do it because no one ever fucking mentioned Belladonna when we do did Inherent Vice. <laughs> yeah, so I'm gonna, I'm gonna have to do a, a a full review of a Belladonna film. Yeah, I was actually, I was actually disappointed, honestly, that no one actually mentioned anything but the Belladonna stuff because we kind of went in depth in that, and you know, it's like, oh, yeah, yeah no, eh, whatever. It, it I, doesn't I, matter. I discussed in detail my love of her ass licking, and then just it it uh, went nowhere. You know, we I really thought we were going to get some attention for that, but no one no, appreciates so anything anymore. I, I again, I blame I blame the no reality report for no one appreciates a good description of a rum job. Is what yeah, I'm saying. Jesus Christ. Are, are all of our fans Puritans? What What is going on here? Uh, no. I, I, oh, shit. I, I even hate myself for saying fans. Listeners. God damn it. I, I, sound, I sound like one of those fucking... I sound like one of those fucking podcast assholes who say, all of our fans, fuck you, you fucking pieces of shit. It's our listeners. And they, they, you, know who, you know who we love? That they must be destroyed on a site army out there. Yeah. Listen to us building a movement that's really going to change the world of film discussion. The TMB DOSers out there. <laughs> You're great. You're great. It's awesome. It's going to be huge. They're going to give a big sloppy blowjob to every single one of you. I'm, I'm telling you, they're going to be huge. They're going to be great. They're going to make America great again. <laughs> it, it's going to be the best. God damn. Let's don't don't get me started on Donald Trump. No, no it's not, it's not. not on this show. Uh, <laughs> on my other show. Yeah, yeah. We'll we'll, we'll keep the politics to always face, man. <laughs> okay, fair, enough, fair enough. Okay. So we do have two comments. Uh I'll I'll get to the short one first. Uh, I I just put out a question on the uh, actual uh, Facebook site, TMBDOS on Facebook, if you want to find us. They must be destroyed on site. Best place to get in contact with us. Hunter Deucing said, don't forget the pack the Mr. Pib. It's the only Coke I like, which is a good reference, and I applaud him, sir. Yeah. It is a good reference. I, I appreciate that. And uh, I don't know, Mr. Pib or Dr. Pepper? Like, which, which, uh, do, do you have a preference there, Lee? I've never had Mr. Pibb. I don't think that's a thing in Canada. I've never seen it. So It's not that common in the States. I mean, I, I think it's like Packet, you know, pockets of like you know popularity, but um, yeah, uh, I've had it. I'm gonna say I prefer Dr Pepper. I was gonna say I prefer Dr Pepper Cherry is the one I like. I don't know that I've had the Dr Pepper Cherry. That but, might be um, a Canada only thing. I don't really like diff- cherry flavor things in general. Okay. Like like you know cherry flavor. Like it, it could probably it might exist. I know I've had like vanilla Coke and cherry Coke. I don't know mm-hmm. that I've had Dr Pepper. I don't drink a lot of soda these days. But yeah, I don't like, either because it's incredibly bad for you. And don't don't do it, kids. I I would recommend people take up smoking before they drink pop, honestly. But okay, that's probably not not the case. But um, drinking no. maybe, but not smoking. No, no, come on, take up cigars, kids. Let's do it. Maybe marijuana, not a cigar. Yeah, not marijuana. Go go ahead. I'm actually constantly surprised, like the differences between junk food between Canada and the U.S. Ketchup chips is like almost 
non-existent in the U.S. Apparently, but ketchup chips is like a big thing in Canada. Yeah, I don't. I, that that's uh that that must be. Yeah, that that's I I've never seen ketchup. I mean, I don't know. Maybe I've seen them like some specialty shop somewhere, <laughs> but like it's yeah, no, it's yeah. not a thing. The the, the differences in snack foods between Canada and the U.S. is like a whole other podcast, but. Yeah, uh, yeah. Are we are we going to talk about movies today, or are we just going <laughs> to ramble on? I'm fine either way. I kind of like the yeah. off-topic nature today. This is what happens when Lee and I don't get to chat personally for two weeks. Is we just like <laughs> bullshit. <laughs> uh, yeah, I well, well again, I've never had Mr. Pib. I don't even know what that is. Apparently, that's a cola. Mr. Pib is that? Mr. Pib is basically because Dr. Pepper is like independent, right? Yeah. Like Dr. Pepper isn't Coke or Pepsi. Mr. Pib is, I believe, it's Coke's. Like version of Doctor. Oh, really? Okay. Yeah, yeah. So, so it's it's sort of like their like their formulation that's supposed to taste more like Dr. Pepper. Oh. Okay. Um, you know, it's it's fizzy sugar water. Like, yeah, I mean, yeah. What do you want? You know, like I mean, it's just it's just sort of like uh, you know people that get really like up in arms about like soda flavors. You know, <laughs> I mean, this is this is a multinational corporation that has like focus grouped a particular brand of fizzy sugar water to death and is selling it in, you know, millions of locations around the world specifically to, to turn a half cent profit per can yeah. to, uh, you know, you know, I mean, this, this is not anything that like you should concern yourself with ultimately, you know, well, I mean, um, I, mean I actually yeah. admire the food scientists that like design these things and make out consistent batches mm-hmm. much more so than I actually respect the product itself. Well, when you um, think about it, coming from both our sort of backgrounds and sort of online beer critique mm-hmm. and everything, it's it's like listening to some asshole uh, argue between Coors Light and Bud Light or something like that. Like, right. yeah, I mean, there are just there are just other things to talk about, you know, yeah. like um, movies, like movies, <laughs> also giant corporate um, products, but at least there is some artistic integrity behind them, you know? Yeah. And there are more than six of them that you can try. <laughs> Great. Uh, all right, so a uh, little long time getting to this. Uh, this was an email sent to me on May 14th. Uh, this is from Andrew Koch, or perhaps it's Cook. I, 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 I never know because the way it's, it's one of the Koch brothers. One of the Koch brothers has messaged us. Uh, it's the Coke brothers, uh, like um, it's the Coke brother, the third brother with integrity. Yeah, you know, but if he get in on the family fortune and decided uh, he wanted to message, um, <laughs> he, wanted, <laughs> he, wanted to, he really just wanted to like make his political influence known through this podcast. Yeah, and so he sent us a message, and here we go. Uh, yeah, so uh, Andrew says. Uh, I've been listening to your podcast for approximately the last six months after hearing about you on the Midnight Movie Cowboys podcast. Shout out to the Midnight Movie Cowboys. Thank you. You provided some needed entertainment while I'm going through the drudgery of work. After hearing your podcast on 2001 Space Odyssey in 2010, I thought I would send along an email with a link to an extremely in-depth article on the meanings of the movie. And that's a bit of an uh, understatement, sir, because that article is fucking long. That's a book. <laughs> that, I, I did not. I meant to download it. I, I, I read through the majority of it, and then just like I'm, you know, I'm kind of doing it in stages. I meant to download it and do an actual word count on it, but um, I haven't bothered to do it yet. But it's it's in excess of fifty thousand words. I mean, yeah, it's, like it's uh, it goes so, through beat by beat through the entire film, two thousand mm-hmm. space, obviously. Yeah. Um, 
Are you going to throw a link in the show notes to, to this? So I am, can look definitely. Themselves? Okay. Overall, I find it interesting. I think it's probably misreading Nietzsche slightly. I can't tell if it's misreading Nietzsche slightly or it's responding to someone who's misreading Nietzsche slightly. I'm not a Nietzsche scholar, but I know enough to kind of know that the, the Ubermensch doesn't quite mean what he's kind of implying it to me, but I haven't gotten to the end yet, so I don't know uh, how he's going to wrap it all up. And I do think that this thing is much, much longer than it really needs to be. You know, the, the, the thesis statement could be, you know, it's, it's padded. It, feel, it feels padded, but it's online Kubrick scholarship, which is ultimately always yeah. to this kind of, like, you know, you know very um, obsessively detailed length. And um, some of the arguments are definitely stronger than others. I'll just, I'll just say that. But um, if, yeah. you wanna, if you want to go through that, you know, maybe... <laughs> I'll sit down and go through it one of these days. So, you know. Well, I mean, going through the whole thing would be just another podcast on itself. Um, and honestly, I don't think I'm intellectually equipped enough to <laughs> go through everything on that. Uh, I, I was reading this tonight, and I'll admit I was I, I should have read it like two weeks ago when he first sent the fucking email. And I apologize, Andrew, for that. Um, so I'm not giving it the full respect it deserves. But I did read through it tonight. Fairly buzzed. So <laughs> there you go. Uh, I found it quite interesting. Um, I think the end of it is much more interesting than the beginning and middle, uh, where they start to, where he starts talking about how. And... I don't think I don't think the argument is wrong necessarily, no. like it's broad, but I, I think that some of the evidence is a little weak, and some of it is based on an interpretation of certain moments. In particular, he draws a lot of like conclusions on the like argument that Bowman's drawing to Hal is not very good. You know, mm. like he's he like and it, it seems to be like this moment to where he's he's drawing a lot of psychological depth out of that, where I don't think that that's a, I mean obviously that's a reading of the film, but I don't know that like the the links that he has to push to on top of that I don't think are justified by the text itself. If that that's um, that's sort of what I was sort of skimming from it that I I felt like there was a lot of stuff in here that really like just from my interpretation was not implied really by Kubrick at all. Um, well, but I think that there is this kind of new, uh, new criticism, you know, death of the author thing where like, it doesn't matter really what Kubrick intended. It's kind of what you read in the text. And so well, yeah. I, I'm willing to go with that. I'm willing to go with that. Um, I think that even judging on that basis, I think there is a degree to which some of some of the arguments are weaker than others, and I, I I think I agree in kind of the broad thrust, kind of where he's going, and I think there is some interesting stuff, but I think it's kind of buried in this kind of pile of like, yeah, that's fine, mm-hmm. you know, like it's just, it's just kind of yeah, no, all right, I guess I can go with that, but it, it, I really wish that the author had like picked the like four things he most wanted to talk about, and then like pushed on those buttons instead of like detailing you know everything in the film yeah because. Because he really goes into everything. Like he he is talking about every aspect of the film and its significance to the overall theme. Like he he's going through the music like step by step almost. Like um, some of the music stuff is actually is actually interesting it is, in terms yeah. of the way he's talking about the the, the Ligeti theme versus the uh, the Blue Denim Waltz mm-hmm. stuff. I found some of the some of the way that he talked about the, the the music interesting. I mean, it's an interesting piece at least on the like go and look at how this works, you know? Yeah. Uh, go, go and look at the depth of, like, if you haven't read Kubrick Scholarship before, this is a, you yeah. know, kind of the online fandom of Kubrick. This is definitely a really uh, fine example of that. 
yeah, I'll, I won't go into too much depth, but I will say uh, the most interesting part I found was the uh, stuff talking about Hal and how in the initial film that he talks about how Hal is sort of striving to become more human and then how basically he's just corrected in the second film and all of that is washed away as a like a plot right. contrivance almost right um right. and i i thought some of that stuff was pretty strong and uh honestly i am going to read this a, a couple more times and go through it and try to see what i think about it i don't know necessarily if i'll talk about it on the podcast but uh, thank you very much, Andrew, for... Hey, uh, bonus content for our Patreon subscribers. Yeah. <laughs> I will talk about this article in depth. You only have to pay $15 a month, and you'll, you'll get exclusive content from They Must Be Destroyed on site. Yeah, uh, never going to happen. But he also says, uh, I was also wondering if you guys would ever think about doing straw dogs. I would love to hear Daniel's thoughts on that. Anyways, keep up the good work. And I think we're both in agreement that we'll do straw dogs at some point. Rape and fascism? I'm there. This is definitely my wheelhouse. This is a film I would... And um, astrophysics. I mean, come on. Like These are, <laughs> these are three topics that I can speak and uh, English pubs. I, um, I actually don't know yeah. a lot about English pubs, but you know, like uh, there's an English well, pub. I, I'm thinking, I'm thinking a, a Sam Peckinpah month is in order at some point anyway. So yeah, um, I'm actually under, I'm actually undereducated in my Sam Peckinpah. I haven't seen as many of his films as I'd like. So I would, I would absolutely um, love to do some of those, uh, some of those films and uh, kind of actually sit down and watch some stuff that I haven't seen. So um, yeah, I'm down. Let's do it. Yeah. Um, Straw Dogs, uh, <laughs> yeah, that is a brilliant and deeply problematic film. Like, I mean, it just it just is, you know. So uh, that's all I'll say for now. Obviously, you know, but yeah, I love that he's like, I'd love to hear what Daniel has to say about Straw Dogs. I, I, think, I think he picked up on some of the uh, sort of overarching themes that you sort of talk about on this podcast. So, yeah. I, I, th I think so. It is, it is always interesting whenever someone says, I'm interested to see what Daniel has to say about this. This terrible, terrible moment. Of course, Daniel's gonna Daniel's gonna talk about this, you know. <laughs> Never mind that asshole Lee who doesn't talk about anything important and this sort of. No, everybody loves you. I'm the heel of this podcast. <laughs> People hate me. People listen just to see that me like bringing my you know social justice agenda into their lives. <laughs> that, that's kind of how I see people's response to me on this podcast. <laughs> Nobody, nobody actually wants to listen to me. People want to listen to you and Paul when Paul finally gets his ass back on here. People are yeah. going to rejoice. And then I'm going to talk, and then they're just going to fast forward through it. That's just, you know. <laughs> oh, fuck. Uh, but, yeah, uh, thank you for the comments, guys. Again, go to They Must Be Destroyed on Site on Facebook. It's the best place to get in contact with us. We will respond to anything you send us, even if this is bullshit. Like, we, we have nothing but time to fill on the air here. So, I mean, if, if you have... Obviously. Yeah. I mean, <laughs> we, we were talking about fucking Dr. Pepper a minute ago. Like, God damn it. <laughs> yeah, yeah. We have nothing better to talk about than Dr. Pepper. The Clean, refreshing Dr. Pepper. Mm -hmm. Really, it's uh, it's it's the it's the drink of champions, Lee. It, it won't rot your enamel as much as Coke and those other guys. <laughs> <laughs> Probably, I don't know. Taste the phosphoric acid. Yeah. <laughs> Jesus. Uh, okay, so we should just move on to what we've watched in the last little while, and I'll let you go first, there, Daniel. So uh, go ahead. 
Sure. I've I watched a few things uh, just kind of uh, idly on Netflix that I wouldn't want to like pretend I discussed. You know, like like kind of really looked into. Um, I rewatched um, South Park: Bigger, Longer, and Uncut huh? because it was on Netflix. And uh, man, I loved that film when I was nineteen. And holy shit, has it not aged all that well? <laughs> it's uh, you know the songs are great. I mean, like it's still it's still the same movie it was. It kind of falls apart in its last third. And uh, holy shit, is this a movie made by, like, privileged 25-year-old white guys? Like, uh, <laughs> like, really upset that they can't say naughty words in a movie, you know? Like, man, there are no bigger problems in the world than your ability to say, you know, fuck-a-doodle in a movie. Um, congratulations, guys. Uh, well done. But it's it's still funny. It, it was fun to rewatch. Uh, let's see. I watched uh, a lot of like little bits of stuff here and there. Um, I watched like the first half of Pulp Fiction. Mm-hmm. Um, that's man. I haven't watched Pulp Fiction in a long time. And uh, one of these days we're gonna start talking about Tarantino. I think. Yeah. But um, I think I think uh, I'll kind of save detailed thoughts till then. But you know, man. Like kind of watching it outside of its context, kind of watching it today, and and kind of like seeing it with fresh eyes to some degree. Uh, respect from that film, which I already loved, but my respect for it just as a film just like skyrocketed again. Like it's it's right. such a well made piece of cinema. It's so effective at what it does. Like even though I know every beat in the film, mm-hmm. like coming back to it and going like, yeah, I mean, you know, my my feeling on Tarantino is that he's. Um, you know, his his later career is more interesting because he's more interested in kind of talking about politics and ideology and such and, like, kind of pointing fingers at dirty places that we don't like to talk about. And in his first couple of films, he doesn't do that at all. I mean, it's really just kind of making pretty straightforward crime films. I mean, Pulp Fiction is him learning the tools of his trade so he think he could then go on to make the more sophisticated films. But, my God, does it work just as a piece of pure cinema and that's all it's meant to be and i think that's something that really still holds up um at least the first half so i because i was just kind of watching it idly again you know and you know went to bed because i was drinking and needed to sleep (laughs) (laughs) yeah he doesn't really uh he doesn't really in, in in my mind in my estimation anyway he doesn't really graduate i guess as the best term to like a mature filmmaker till he gets to Jackie Brown, where he really starts to talk about stuff. I, I, I think I think his early couple films are this. These are all the cool things I saw when I was working in that fucking video store. This is all the this is all the cool stuff that I wanted to rip off and put in my own crime films and educate other people who have probably never seen these fucking films because he comes from a sort of a culture where a lot of this stuff. Might have been on VHS, but a lot of people never fucking saw it before he started, you know, showing it to people. Of course, there's also the problem that Tarantino didn't quite disclose that, oh, yeah, I kind of took this from this film and this from this film. Uh, Some people had to point that out for him. But, uh, yeah, I I think we'll get more into that when we talk about Tarantino at some point. But uh, (laughs) I mean, you know, to to me, the and and here's where I land on Tarantino, just, just bottom line. I think that playing the reference game with Tarantino, like I, I understand in the first couple of films, I, you know, I understand the city on fire argument. Like I get mm-hmm. that, you know, and I, and I get that like, there are a lot of, you know, there are a lot of like, you can take shots, you know, the, the kiss me deadly, you know, shot in Pulp Fiction. You can get all, mm-hmm. the, all the other stuff and kind of say, Oh, we just ripped this off from other films, but he's p- putting it together in a new way. I mean, you know, by that argument, any, like, musical artist that uses sampling 
is, you know, is not, I mean, there's bad sampling and good sampling and there's mm-hmm. good kind of like using a reference and then there's bad using a reference. And, um, you know, I don't know, regardless of how you feel about those first two films, I think, I think we're all, we're, you and I are both in agreement that like once he gets to Jackie Brown, he's you starting to tell stories like real human stories and um, not just kind of playing with cinematic tropes. I still think Pulp Fiction works. I still think that's a film that really moves. Um, I, I, I agree. Uh, it's not one of my favorite of his, but I, I definitely agree it works. And yeah. I do, I do respect what it kind of did for film at its time. You know? Reservoir Dogs. Yeah. I mean, I can, I've actually seen it on the big screen. Um, mm-hmm. I got, I got a chance to see it. Uh, Michael Madsen, was in Kalamazoo. Oh, really? And, uh, you know, yeah, yeah. He, the, soon after the Alamo opened here, you know, they got Michael Madsen mm-hmm. in, and he did, like, a little... Uh, they did two showings of Reservoir Dogs, and he was supposed to do a Q&A after the movie, but I came to the second showing, and they let him do it before the movie just because it was, like... Michael Bassett doesn't want to sit here for another 90 yeah. minutes. And, you know, I mean, yeah, in Kalamazoo, Michigan, yeah, I get it. Like, it, there's no, no, no complaint there. Um, like, like, listen, listen, Michael Madsen's too busy doing 18 fucking direct-to-video movies next month, so he, he doesn't need to be right. sitting here at the Alamo wasting his time. He was about the way you'd expect. He he told some funny stories about like making Reservoir Dogs for about fifteen minutes, and uh, he looked really old. <laughs> I mean, it's yeah. just somebody even asked him about the the Vega Brothers movie. That oh uh, yeah, you know, again, he's like, yeah, well, if Quentin came to me and said I want to do it, I'd do it. But like, I'm like, no, you guys are like, a nobody wants to see you guys do this movie. At this no, point. not at this point. No, <laughs> Tarantino is not going to take two years out of his life and make this film. Like, it's just never going to happen. Yeah. But. Um, you know, anyway. Uh, one more movie I'll mention. The I watched The Psychopath, which was mm-hmm. uh, one of the Amicus films. This is uh, kind of the lost Amicus film. It's a little bit hard to find. Apparently, the only, like, real like, DVD release was a, uh, like, an Italian release or something like oh, really? that from, you know, like, so it's, it's kind of a... Uh, I torrented it. I found it fairly readily, but apparently it's, you know, for some people, it's a little bit kind of hard to dig up. It's actually written by um, Robert Block, mm-hmm. who was a uh, who was the writer of the novel that Psycho was based on, yeah. and I haven't read the novel that Psycho is based on, but this kind of rips completely off the Psycho formula. It does, and uh, not necessarily in a bad way. I found it to be actually pretty entertaining. I think uh, structurally, it actually improves on the Psycho formula to some degree. Mm-hmm. Um, because it's it's kind of it it kind of adds some a little bit of a, I don't want to say add psychological complexity, but I think that what makes Psycho work is really Hitchcock and not Block. Whereas yeah. I think the Psychopath kind of works like it, it it isn't directed as well. I mean it, it's a fairly kind of low budget B grade psychological horror film, but uh, effective at what it does. I was not bored watching it, and I think that um, it really does kind of lend itself. The the ending is is interesting, you know. So, uh, mm-hmm. you know, I I watched it, I enjoyed it, and honestly, now that I'm talking about it, because I watched it like a couple of weeks ago at this point, um, I'm kind of like I've forgotten some of the details just because it's just that kind of film. But I I, I enjoyed the film, and I w- I would recommend people kind of seek it out and, and uh, give it a watch. It's it's actually worth a a, a relook if you are a look. I, I think it's kind of most people haven't seen it, but um, this is from uh, 1966 and uh, worth it. Yeah, I, I would actually recommend people see it too. Um, it's actually a pretty good film. Uh, it, it, you're right; it is one of those sort of amicus films that no one thinks about because when people think about amicus, they think about their anthologies. 
And I'm, I'm, I'm watching along with the City of the Dead podcast. So mm-hmm. I, I, I was about to say, uh, I'm actually going to link to City of the Dead podcast in the show notes for this episode because I recommend people go back and see what they're talking about because they're highlighting all these films from Amicus, even the really terrible ones, like the killer They're, they're doing everything in order. So, yeah. yeah. That, oh, is, that, this, is this a good time? Should I bring this up? Um, City of the Dead is now uh, is part of the uh, Reform Press podcast blogging mm-hmm. family, and uh, as of this week, I am as well. So yeah. uh, it could be a conflict of interest, et cetera, et cetera. <laughs> I've loved this podcast since episode one. Uh, James and Holly are both personal friends of mine. They do a great show, and um, I've said that on this podcast long mm-hmm. before. Just so people know, I'm writing a column about sex. My wife and I are like kind of co-hosting, co-doing a column about sex on originalformpress.com that will be up every Friday until one of us gets bored of it or something. So, um, or until Phil fires us, which will probably happen. So, um, go check that out. Yeah. uh, We'll link that in the show notes and we'll put that on the, uh, Podbean page as well. We'll we'll get that all linked up. Um, but yeah, uh, city of the dead from the Pex lives, uh, podcast is awesome. (laughs) I, I, I just love that they're doing the amicus films because I've, never really seen anyone really talk about the amicus stuff all that much except for the fucking anthologies so this is really great to see them going in order going through stuff and of course also they're doing uh westerns now pex lives uh yeah pex, pex lives is doing um uh, westerns so they're that's the kind of doctor who side where they do mm-hmm. doctor who but they're yeah. explicitly like uh they do like four hour podcasts at this point <laughs> basically like the first half of it they're gonna do some westerns and then like uh, move in and talk about Doctor Who, and they're just doing that because oh fuck it, we can. So, but they uh, their the, the latest episode they did uh, three Gary Cooper westerns, which was great. I, I already linked that in the Facebook page, but uh, I'll probably put it in the show notes as well. They did a uh, Man of the West, The Hanging Tree, and and, uh, and I uh, and they did that alongside The Gunfighters, which is a William Hartnell uh, serial from nineteen sixty six. I had obviously seen High Noon. I am in the middle of watching The Hanging Tree, and I haven't seen Man of the West, so I will probably talk about The Hanging Tree Man of the West next week. I, I think I might as well, because uh, I haven't watched those ones either. I, I mean, everyone's seen High Noon, but uh, yeah. <laughs> at least everyone should have seen High Noon by now, uh, you naughty little boys and girls, if you've not watched that film. Uh, yeah. but, I've been invited to come on to Pexlos and talk about Westerns at some point in the next couple cool. months, so, um, you know. Well, I kind of forced my way into that. I'm like, you guys talking about Westerns? Hey, hey, I can talk about this. I've got lots of ideas for Westerns. Um, so I badgered them, and they've agreed to let me come back on. So nice. um, the, the the power of persuasion, the power of uh, just pestering people. I, I love how you. I love how uh, Jack Graham just sort of subtly gets invited into podcasts, and you just bully your way into them. I mean, that's great. Yeah. Well, Jack is like a really clever and insightful, and like people actually want him on their podcasts. And so when he like says, Hey, I've actually got this idea. I'm like, yes, please come on me. I'm more, I have to like, like pump people. You're, hey. you're like, you're like the slobbish, slobbish fucking uncle who shows up in the national lampoon vacation movies. He just ingratiates yeah, yeah, I'm himself. Randy Quaid. I'm you're Randy, Randy Quaid in Christmas <laughs> vacation. My God. And, and when I leave your podcast, I do say shitter's full. That's a, uh, you know, <laughs> You're Randy Quaid. You're going to hang out in a hotel and talk about how the Hollywood system is trying to kill you and stuff. Yeah, that's good yeah. stuff. Yeah, no, that's that's exactly that. That's my meat and potatoes, man. Yeah, awesome. Um, 
A couple things I saw. Uh, I'll sure. mention. First thing I'll mention is uh, I finally broke down and watched. Well, I, I won't say broke down. It's not like I was avoiding this film, but um, I watched the Book of Eli from a few, quite a few years ago now. I guess uh, Denzel Washington, Gary Oldman. <laughs> Denzel Washington walks around a Fallout Three wasteland. Is that is yes? Kind of you know. That was the first film where I saw the trailer and went, yeah, that was totally ripped off Fallout 3. Yeah. I apologize. I haven't seen the film, so please continue. I, I won't say it's ripped off from Fallout so much as it's ripped off from uh, The Road. I, I think The, the Road. Road came before that one. Um, uh, don't, yeah, 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 yeah. don't fucking quote me on that. But goddamn, so much potential for that film, and it's totally wasted on this fucking... And, you know, uh, I guess I'll apologize to anyone who's listening to this podcast who is, you know, religious or whatever, but just this bullshit Christian message. So ham-fisted, annoying as fuck, uh, just basically pounded into you. This is what the Left Behind people who did the Left Behind films, if they had a budget and actually talented people producing their movies, this is what that movie would be, kind of. Did you Um, see the Nick Cage Left Behind? I haven't. Uh, I, I, have I've you seen been, the Kirk Cameron Left Behind? I have. Can we please do a Left Behind episode? Let's do it. Let, let's put that on the list. <laughs> left Behind, let's do it. I'm All right. Oh, left Behind, at least the first two movies. They're, they're all on YouTube. So, yeah. like, it's, you know... Okay, uh, it's it's set in stone. Left behind. We're gonna do left behind at some point. But <laughs> god damn it, the, the, this this film has so much fucking potential, and it's just wasted on this ham-fisted bullshit message. That oh, it, it's it's disgusting. There's so many great actors, and the film, the production, and everything is so fucking good. Like this is the road basically turned into slightly more Mad Max kind of action to a certain degree. And mm-hmm. that is potentially really interesting and awesome. And it's just all wasted on this. Oh, we have to shoehorn in this weird <laughs> fucking bullshit Christian message that is just, uh, it doesn't work. I mean, I, I think even I think even most mainstream Christians would kind of find this kind of trite and stupid, honestly. Um, and it's, a real, it's really unfortunate because there's a lot of really great acting talent in this. And there's a lot of really good, gritty scenes in this, and it looks really well, even though the color palette in this film is akin to fucking uh, the guy who does 300 or whatever. Uh, what's his name? Uh, Zach. Oh, Zack Snyder. Zack Snyder. Like, well, that's just kind of what movies like. Oh, that's just what movies looked like in like 2009 or whatever year that came. Like, like it's just sort of like that. That sort of idea of. We're gonna wash everything out. Everything kind of looks like gray and blue, and you know, like it's just it's just that sort of like it was that era of big budget filmmaking. But has that has that really ended? Because Ripley Scott is still fucking doing it, man. Every film oh, he's really? made in the last ten years has been washed out of color. So here's your problem: you're still watching films made by Ridley Scott. <laughs> so I've admitted everything Ridley Scott. The last you don't want to know you want to know what the last Ridley Scott film I saw was. Okay, would you like to guess? Yeah, uh, Jesus, um, I, I don't even know. <laughs> Go ahead, just say it. Matchstick Men, that's the really? last release album I saw, yeah. Okay. And uh, I feel very satisfied in that decision. Like I'm like, you know what, I liked Matchstick Men. Yeah, I did too. And I feel like this is, um, this is, this is, I'm okay with not watching any more Ridley Scott films. Like, uh, you know. 
Nothing that I've seen. I've heard, uh, what is it, Children of Heaven? Is that the one that's supposed to be really good? I never heard it was good. <laughs> okay. Well, I heard nice things about Children of Heaven. And uh, I'm just like, yeah, I don't care. I, I'm, I'm, I'm fine. I'm done with Ridley Scott. Like, you know. The, the second that Robin Hood, that the, the oh, Sheriff of Nottingham movie got turned into Robin Hood. The second oh, that God, happened that... was the second where I knew, like, I, I no longer... Ridley Scott is a, is a great visual director when he gives a shit, you know? The man has no, like, concept of script, you know, which is the whole problem why I got shit on Blade Runner for, you know, mm-hmm. 15 minutes in our last episode. This is why. He doesn't understand scripting. And he doesn't, I mean, you know, like, he's, he's a visual director. That's fine. He knows how to make pretty pictures. He doesn't necessarily know how to he, put he, them together into a He doesn't do that anymore. There's no color yeah. in his fucking films there's, anymore. There's nothing. But I guess what I'm saying, it's almost like that. Like, uh, it's like his brother, Tony Scott, right? You know? Tony Scott's, uh, you know, also worked with Denzel Washington on, uh, what's that film? Uh, Man on Fire? Yeah. Man on Fire is a really fucking good film. Like, I actually really like Man on Fire. And then he did that same fucking thing until he died. You yeah. Know? Like, um, we are not even going to talk about Slither tonight, are we? <laughs> we are. We're going to get there. Don't okay. Okay. believe in it, sir. Believe in it. So fuck that film. I'm well. I won't say fuck it. I, I'd say watch it, but it's not good. It's not good. Okay. Since we're, since we're talking about Christian movies, can I tell you about the worst film I've ever seen? Okay. It's called Time Changer. Mm-hmm. And if it was streaming somewhere, like I'll have, to, I'll, I'll seek it out. I would recommend we actually do this on the. On the okay. So. I actually rented this from Netflix on a disc back when I was doing that, like years and years ago, because like it sounded so absurd, and I just had to. I was like really obsessed with like understanding the products of Christian fundamentalist like pop culture, and I was like, this just sounds like something I have to see. So there's this Christian like liberal theologian. I put that in quotes. Uh, in the 19th century, right? Like, so late 19th century, who finds that uh, he is... uh, There's this scientist who's developed a time machine, and so he travels forward to his future, which is our present day, like 2005 or whatever, Mm -hmm. and he's basically a cut-rate Will Ferrell character walking around in, like, modern-day, like, 21st century um, Earth, like, United States, and has the most asinine set of misadventures you could ever imagine. (laughs) And the end of the film, basically, he goes back to 19th century, determines that, no, really what happens is the Bible, you know, time can change, but the Bible has to remain constant. We have to always believe in the Bible. Of course. And uh, the scientist says, oh, I'm going to send somebody forward a few years after I sent him. But then, like, the time machine doesn't work because the rapture happened. So, yeah. Ah, well, yeah. yeah. That's always a problem. Uh, It's a terrible, terrible film, and my description in no way... Uh, made it up to you, but um, I would absolutely, I would absolutely uh, do uh, some of these uh, Christian fundamentalist films at some point. That um, has, because that has, that has to be a month. That has to be a series. They, they are universally terrible. I mean, have oh, you sat oh, in and watched some of these? We, some we of gotta, them are on Netflix. I watched like, the first this. ten minutes of the Look of Silence and went, "What the fuck is this?" <laughs> Christians are like being like overtly persecuted by like shock troops, or like you, we're gonna burn your Bibles. In the first, like, six minutes of the film. Uh, the, the idea in Book of Eli that after the nuclear war, oh, all the remaining Bibles? We're going to have to burn those fucking things because 
just because, you know, it, it happened. Uh, for warmth. Yeah, for, yeah, warmth. for warmth, probably. But yeah, let's do a shitty Christian film month. Like, we, we need to at least After throw... Westerns, you know? Yeah. <laughs> we need to at least throw one Kevin Sorbo film in there at that point. God's Not Dead or what the fuck. <laughs> God's, God's Not Dead, yeah? Yeah. Yeah. Um... <laughs> God damn it. <laughs> Oh God, we're gonna subject ourselves to so much bullshit. Hold on, hold on. I have to plot summarize these things. Oh yeah, good good luck with that one. <laughs> you, you brought that on yourself. Uh, I did, didn't I? Uh, I really did. Uh, you're familiar. At least spaghetti Western month is gonna be like an easy one. Grizzled old man walks into a bar, shoots uh, people. I don't know. <laughs> well, the sex comedy month. We're gonna we're gonna that'll that'll be the easy one. Yeah, that'll be your break. Yeah. The other film I watched that I'll mention is actually really good. Uh, this is on Netflix. It's called Hush, and it was released this year. I think it's a Netflix exclusive kind of thing. That, that was, I, I haven't heard of this at all, so tell this me This is exceptionally good. It is a home invasion slash slasher movie kind of concept. It's about this uh, young woman who's an author. She is uh, deaf. She lives mm-hmm. in this sort of isolated house in a rural area. She is, you know, basically just going through her day-to-day stuff. She's trying to write a book. And all of a sudden, this killer shows up who is this sadistic motherfucker in a mask who likes to play with his victims. So he is basically stalking her and playing with her outside of her her house. And it's basically a game of wits where she has to outsmart him and outthink him and uh, basically beat him and escape from her house exceptionally fucking well done. I was totally surprised by this. Uh, I, I basically listened to a review of this from uh, the Land of the Creeps podcast, which uh, basically do horror movies. Very good couple podcast, by the way. Otherwise, I would have just passed this up. I wouldn't have watched it all on Netflix. Because right. I just would have thought it was another Nef- piece of Netflix garbage horror movie or whatever that just got picked up. But fucking well done. Um, really focuses on her disability and how she copes with the real world, how she, you know, functions as an adult human being as being deaf. Also, also focuses in on her being a writer where she's this very logical, pragmatic person who thinks about a lot of different outcomes. And there's a section in this film where she thinks about those things as in relation to escaping from the killer And the way the film presents it is very well done. And I was just really pleasantly surprised by this. The killer is incredibly fucking creepy and nasty, but believable. And the central performance from the lead actress, I don't have her name down here right now, but very fucking good, very believable. The film really builds a lot of tensions and suspense. Yeah, yeah. Did did they actually pick a deaf actress, or is this a no? She's she, she, she's not deaf, um, but she really plays it fucking well. Like, sure, I, I I do know some people who are deaf, and she does a really good job. And it's it's awesome because you, at times you do get her internal monologue, like the voice she hears in her head, which mm-hmm. is her actually her mother's voice. And, oh, that's interesting. Yeah, talking to her. Uh, so she everything she thinks vocally is in her mother's voice, basically, because she was not always deaf. She was she became deaf as a child due to uh, meningitis. So, so there was a few years that she could actually hear. And I really love the fact that it kind of transcends the cliches of like. Oh, bitch! Don't go in the fucking room, or don't do this, don't do 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 that. She does these things because she is deaf. Like there's there's things that a normal person probably like 
a person who could hear perfectly well would not do, but because she's deaf, she will do certain things. And her failures and her triumphs are all sort of like organically grown out of the fact that her character is deaf. And right. I, re- I really appreciated that in this film. Like there's a lot of really good thought in this and it is one of the best horror films I've seen in the last 10 years. And it's one of the best films I've seen this year. So it's really well, good. It sounds like something I need to look up. Uh, yeah. You know, the, it really does speak to the idea that what makes a great film is often just the script. Mm-hmm. And I, I kind of say this a lot. A good script doesn't cost anything. Yeah, and a good script, I mean, not really, not not on the not on the scale of like a big budget movie, even a moderate budget movie. You know, like a good script is really just you hire somebody and you give them the time to do what they need to do to really polish things, and you and you work on it, and you, mm-hmm. you know, like work out the beats and like figure out what you're really trying to say. A good script doesn't, you know, it's not like oh. <laughs> throw some CGI at it. You can throw all the all the effects, all the you know production value in the world at a shitty script and it's just gonna be a shitty script. Yeah. Um and, and this is just kinda like I wish like it, it feels like so obvious and I know that like it is like it's not like people aren't aware like oh what we need is a good script. But people need to like recognize what a good script is. I think that script reading is almost a, a the skill that we need to like like among like production people and, and directors and that sort of thing like understanding like what like what actually works and doesn't work in a script. Yeah, well, um, they, they they overthink it, and it's like, oh, we we need to revise this. So then you, they hire like three or four more people to rewrite the fucking right. script. And it's like, oh, it's like, which is also why low budget stuff is, is kind of more interesting because even mm-hmm. if like there are like kind of technical flaws. You're looking at uh, something that, that kind of is like, didn't go through a huge drafting process, and so you get this sort of authentic voice sometimes, you know. So. Yeah, and and this movie doesn't feel like it's it was fucked with. I mean, it, it is low budget, but there's no technical flaws. Like this film looks really good. Like it it really looks really good. It's very claustrophobic, even though she's in this like. Uh, she must have been the successful novelist. Let's just put it that way, because her first book paid for this fucking house, and it's a big fucking house. It's a big, expansive house, but at the same time, it's very claustrophobic, so it's done very well. Writers in movies always live the lives that writers of (laughs) movies think that writers should have. Like, it's always aspirational, right? (laughs) Yeah, I just once I'd like to see a writer in a movie, like, actually be like, I work 10-hour days, I slave over a typewriter, I write, you know, terrible romance fiction, terrible sci-fi, terrible erotica, I put it out on Amazon, I make $25,000 a year, it's my life, I love it because it is what I do, but that's my life. Like, like that's that's the work of a working writer at this point, you know? Um... (laughs) It's not like I write for an hour a day and sip wine. Like that's not that's not at all like what a writer actually does. So. Yeah. Clytus, I'm bored. What plaything can you offer me today? An obscure body in the SK system, Your Majesty. The inhabitants refer to it as the planet Earth. How peaceful it looks. Most effective, Your Majesty. We'll destroy this Earth. Destroy it utterly. Send Rick and Danny in wool rocket Ajax. So, just destroy it? 
That's what Ming said. Don't you ever listen? Well, there's no arguing with Ming. Hail Ming. Wait! You see those transmissions on the visual screen? Crow? Nightmare on Elm Street? Chud too? Black Belt Jones? Nightbreed? What's a critter? Oh, I've seen those things. Flash? I guess we could wait a while before the destruction. Yeah, and watch the movies. And talk about them. The Hell Ming Power Hour. Disobedience to Ming. For now. You can find us at Legion Podcast. You can find us on Facebook. iTunes. We're on Twitter. We're on Instagram. At www. You know what? Just Google it for yourself. Just Google it, you bastages. Hail Ming. Breaking 2? Electric Boogaloo? Samurai Cop? Army of Darkness? Flashdance? <laughs> we might destroy the planet if it's flashdance. <laughs> Movies need only three things. Badasses. You tell me who you want done, and I'll do the hell out of it. A chick with drive who don't take no jive. Boobs. Do you know that the female breast, known to be the source of life since Eve, can be deadly weapons? And body counts. mathematics of murder and menace. The BB and BC podcast is your source for exploitation film discussion of B-movies. You can find the show on iTunes and Stitcher Radio by searching for BB and BC podcast. You can also listen to each episode directly from the show's website located at badassesboobsandbodycounts.com. Let's go to work. Looking for something different in your podcast library? Then why not check out the podcast Under the Stairs? I'm the host Duncan McLeish and joining me each week will be a special guest as we examine some classic old school horror favourites as well as some modern classics. That's not to say that we don't tackle some of the, let's say, more questionable entries into the horror genre. And if all that wasn't enough, we have a subset of shows called Baz V Horror, where our horror novice, The Baz, tackles horror in all shapes and forms to see who will come out victorious. So what are you waiting for? The show can be found at podcastunderthestairs.wordpress.com and on Stitcher and iTunes. The Podcast Under The Stairs is a proud member of Legion Podcast Network. This is Duncan McLeish from Under The Stairs, signing off.
All right, let's move on to our film for tonight, and we're going to be talking about Slither from 2006. When you marry someone, you promise to love them forever. No matter how much, they might change. Baby, what happened to your face? It's just a beast stink. Universal Pictures. Great is sick or something. Comes a film so shocking. Uh, we got a real problem here. So disgusting. Don't let him in your mouth! It will change the face ah! of horror. Marriage is a sacred bond, for better or worse. Much worse. Chick is hardcore. Directed and written by James Gunn, uh, who you may know from Guardians of the Galaxy, of course. I knew him first from uh, his trauma stuff. He, he did some production and writing for a couple films. Uh, he was involved in uh, Tromeo and Juliet and Terror Firmer, which are arguably kind of the sort of better latter-day trauma films that have been done in the last little while. This is starring Nathan Fillion as Bill Party, Elizabeth Banks as Starla Grant, Greg Henry as Mayor Jack McReady, uh, Michael Rooker as Grant Grant, uh, Tanya Soliner as Kylie Strutmeyer, Matria Fedor as Emily Strutmeyer, Don Thompson as Wally White, Brenda James as Brenda Gutierrez, Jenna Fisher as Shelby Cunningham, Jennifer Coping as Margaret Hooper, Hag Sutherland as Trevor Carpenter, and Amber Lee Bartlett as Jenna Strutmeyer. And I'll let you go to the uh, synopsis there, Daniel. The monster is here, and it is us. Oh, wait, my bad. The monster is here, and it's totally not fucking us. But it is going to invade our bodies with giant worms that make us insatiably hungry for meat any meat, including roadkill anti-human, and will eventually take over every living creature on the planet. It all starts in a town called Wheelie, where local car dealer Grant Grant Michael Rooker is out on a dalliance with a young woman named Brenda Brenda James in the middle of the woods, despite being married to the lovely Starla Elizabeth Banks, when he is attacked by an alien parasite that takes over his consciousness and gives him the overwhelming urge for meat. Starla notices that Grant's behavior becomes increasingly erratic as he slowly begins to turn into a slug-like monster. Meanwhile, we are introduced to police chief Bill Party, Nathan Fillion, who dated Starla years ago and who, frankly, still holds a bit of a flame for her. Don't we all? <laughs> the plot follows a fairly predictable arc. As the relationship between the formerly philandering and now suffering from slug-like lithanthropy... <laughs> Sorry. The plot... <laughs> That, that is a tongue twister. I can see it all. You're leaving this in. You're leaving this in. I know. All right. <laughs> <laughs> I wrote this and knew I'd never be able to say it. Syllable by syllable, Daniel. Let's go. Yeah. <laughs> 
The plot follows a fairly predictable arc, as the relationship between the formerly philandering and now suffering from slug-like lycanthropy Grant and Starla deteriorates, frankly due to both sides of his nature as listed in the previous sentence. Things come to a head when Grant's mistress Brenda is found in a barn, so engorged with meat that she has become a sphere with a face, begging for animal parts to stuff down her maw, which sets off the extended series of action sequences which finish the film and include a town full of mind-controlled zombies, a possessed family begging their not-converted daughter to engage in family fun night, and an intelligent and rotting deer getting back at the hunting culture of the small town. Eventually, Starla and her new beau must confront her abuse of an alien-infested husband as she first attempts to use subterfuge and has continued feeling for her to get inside his defenses and then, when that fails, an improvised explosion using a, pro- a propane tank. Apparently, all the film really needed was Hank Hill to sell the town a little bit of propane and propane accessories. <laughs> oh, shit. Yeah. Okay, I just want to prove that I can say the word lycanthropy as long as I'm not trying to say it in the midst of a like multi-syllabled uh, hyphenated word, that that was a bit much, and I applaud you for trooping through it. That that was great. Okay, okay we're gonna. I'm just uh, you know, all right. Um, now suffering from slug-like lycanthropy is the word I was trying to uh, stumble over there. So my apologies to the to the listening audience for my um, horrifying uh, unprofessionalism. I don't think anyone's going to complain. <laughs> yeah. Okay. I love this movie. This is a movie, uh, and I'll, I'll say this right off the bat, being, you know, a big time horror movie fan and being a bit of a jaded, cynical horror movie fan who likes a lot of the stuff in the past and kind of shits on stuff that comes out in the now. I was a little hesitant by this because this is one of those films that, drops so many fucking references to past horror films that if it was handled in a different way, I would just be just shitting all of this film. I'd be hating on it. But this film has a charm. It has kind of a magic to it that really works very well for me and just made me feel at home. And uh, honestly, I loved every fucking thing about this film. Uh, It's one of my favorites of the last like 10 or 20 years. So wow, yeah, I, I didn't I didn't realize you hold it in that like that high esteem. So, um, tell me some of the I mean because I don't I don't know that I initially got all the I mean I I was kind of reading I mean I know like Night of the Creeps and and some mm-hmm. other stuff are, are pretty strongly referenced, but is there are there things that I might not necessarily uh, like pick up on or that that other people might not like what what's a like which references are you are you kind of thinking of as like you know well like, they're really, like in your face. Well, there's there's a lot of there's a lot of subtle ones. Um, like you said, obviously there's the trauma. There's a toxic avenger, like actually, yeah, like, yeah. on screen, yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, well, yeah, there, there there's a lot of there's a lot of small ones. Um, I mean, just the fact that the uh, the mayor is named McCready, and there's the the McCready furniture store or, or hardware store, or whatever that that goes right back to the thing because Kurt Russell's character is McCready in that, right? Sure. So, so that's that's one of the big ones. Night of the Creeps, as you as you mentioned, the Fred Decker film Night of the Creeps, it also involves alien slugs taking over brains and turning people into zombies. You can even go back to uh, David Cronenberg's Shivers, which is one of his his early films, which is about 
alien slugs that turn people into sex-crazed zombies that fuck each other to death, basically. Oh, this is the film I need to see. <laughs> yeah. You you look at the Grant Grant creature. I mean, there's offer, obvious references there to the thing because it's kind of a, you know, a big blob thing that <laughs> that is right. incorporating different people into its biomass, basically. More obvious is uh, Stuart Gordon's From Beyond, which the creature is a direct rip from like that that's been acknowledged and that's a film we should do at some point as well of course there's also the invasion of the body snatchers element to this it's it's very obvious uh we'll put all these on the list i'm definitely i mean i'm definitely interested because i haven't seen a lot of these films so i'm I'm definitely down i will say i really like this film actually this was one film that both shana and i brought to this marriage we bought it independently before we got together and so we actually own two dvd copies of this um you know it's one of those handful of films and uh you know i could probably put together a list that's an interesting list actually um but uh i really liked it you know i, I mean i spent you know 10 bucks on it at a, a used copy at a movie gallery which also mm-hmm. dates the film <laughs> you know <laughs> movie gallery was going out of business i bought a bunch of cheap dvds yeah Rewatching it, I was kind of like, yeah, this is fun, but it didn't hold up for me quite as much. Uh-huh. And um, I don't know if that's a just an artifact of kind of uh, watching it sober, like as a, you know, okay, I'm going to podcast this, so I kind of have to have things to say about it. Uh-huh. I kind of um, diminished it to some degree in my mind, or if it was just sort of like familiarity with it, you know, just kind of like yeah. I wasn't quite on it. I actually did watch it twice. I watched it the first time, just kind of idly like oh and then we had two weeks so then i just watched it this afternoon i uh, just just threw, threw it back on and and um enjoyed it like it's not that i didn't enjoy the film but um it, it wasn't one that i really just like you know loved um i think for me the uh nathan fillion is great like it's it i mean it, this is why we love nathan fillion right i mean he's he's got this delivery for this this kind of like deadpan satirical uh, yeah. stuff that's that's um, you know just his line I remember seeing this on the first time and uh, the line that he says you know what the fuck was that yeah. uh, you know <laughs> which is such a like he, he he is able to both completely understate the line and be completely present in the moment at the same time uh, that Nathan Fillion guy he's got charm to spare. This is one of the movies that really turned me on to him, right? Like, I mean, yeah. he, before that, the only thing I'd see him in was Buffy the Vampire Slayer, and, I, and I liked him in that, too, because, like, who the fuck is this guy? Like, he's really this fucking was, good. This was really the first thing. I mean, I knew him. I knew he was in Firefly, but I hadn't seen it at that point. This was the first thing I'd ever seen him in, and it's like, well, of course you're going to love this guy. I mean, he's great. I mean, the season has run for, I mean, pardon me, season. I think Castle has run for, like, nine seasons or 25 mm-hmm. seasons or something, based purely on the fact that Nathan Fillion, even, you know, in his... In his, uh, can we say without meaning to uh, to fat shame at all here, in his chubby years, um, <laughs> you know, is still a enormously entertaining individual who who just, I mean, he oozes charm. The whole cast is great in this. Yeah, Michael um, Rooker, another great line. Shannon and I used to just quote to each other. Just we just go up, okay, go, meet, 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 <laughs> Michael Rooker is great. Uh, Shannon actually met Michael Rooker. Um, at a horror convention in Cleveland. Um, nice. I forget the name of the convention. But uh, she was working it with a friend and uh, got to meet him briefly. She worked, uh, she was like manning the table for a couple of like people who were um, James Gunn 
like the lower level of James Gunn people. I forget exactly who they were, but you know, so like kind of a third level connection to James Gunn sort yeah. of thing. And um, got to meet like Michael Rooker and Jason Mewes and you know some other people. Awesome. Um, but this is Michael Rooker kind of at the uh, kind of in the midst of the um, Walking Dead. Yeah. Thing, you know, and so he's just walking around in like hipster glasses and being like loved by everybody, you know. Yeah, and yeah. he's still like a really great guy, you know. So, um, I wasn't there, but but Shannon described it to me. So, um, that, that's awesome you know. because uh, Rooker is one of my favorites. I mean, I saw him back in Henry the Portrait of Serial Killer, of course. I mean, that's yeah. kind of I was seeing JFK for some reason. That's my go-to. My so, yeah, JFK as well. But I mean, Henry is kind of the touchstone for you know, like my horror fan background, I guess. Yeah, uh, um, but yeah, Rooker's awesome. Like he's great. Yeah. Uh, Elizabeth Banks. I mean, obviously, it's fucking Elizabeth Banks. I I, I love her as an actor. Let's put it that way. But yeah, I'm sure. I'm not. I I don't have the attraction that I, obviously you do. Is uh, like just because she's you know physically or whatever. But uh, she's you know I find, I feel myself like now. So uh, I'm a Southern boy. You know, mm-hmm. like I, I grew up in the South, and so uh, that was another kind of element where I found myself like yeah. I mean. She's great. Like I'm not like, but but uh, I was a little bit distanced from that, you know. Which which you know, I I found my whole like the, the whole aesthetic. I found myself slightly distanced from, and it might be that I don't live in the South anymore. Um, it, it does have that small town Southern kind of aesthetic to it, doesn't it? Yeah, right, right. It's very much. I mean, and, it, and it's it's playing with those ideas is kind of both playing with the genre tropes and kind of playing with the iconography of, of kind of what it is to be kind of in a small town yes. um, and satirizing some of the viewpoints. I mean, you know, yeah. there's a, Oh God, the, uh, the bit at the end where the, um, the woman is like eating the, the flesh and she's like, you're a Republican. And yes. You can't, like, you know, like it's such a, like, my God, this is, um, this is a little bit obvious. Thank you, James Gunn. I yeah, it. but it's such yeah. a brilliant moment. Like it's so. Uh... It's so brief though, because I mean, in the mayor. By, by the way, the mayor is my favorite character. The the McCre- yeah, Clark character because he's because he's such an unrepentant dickhead, yeah. and and he, and he, and he is only just, drinks Mister Pib. So he only drinks Mister Pib, and he is just just perfect caricature of the you know Southern Republican dickhead asshole mayor in a yeah. town that is just there because there's no one better to replace him basically, and and just the idea. I, I mean, I I guess it's I'm, I might even be looking deeper to this than even James Gunn intended, but uh, this the kind of idea of him becoming basically the poor and underprivileged and having to eat. Other yeah. people, I, I, I kind of feel like there's there's definitely a point there somewhere that's kind of fun. Uh. <laughs> I feel like, and, and I think that this is uh, a. I love Clark Gregg. I mean, he's. I mean, he's. You know, he's, <laughs> kill me now, awesome. kill me now, and then yeah, boom, like <laughs> he doesn't even hesitate. He just shoots I, him. It's I, like honestly, it's not. It's, one of, it's such a great Clark Gregg moment and an even better Nathan Fillion moment, and it's such like it's, it's, it's totally it's awesome because he he doesn't like him. It, it, like, well, these these people are in this small town, right. and they they sell it so well that they're all like they all know each other. They all grew up together, and you know, some of them they don't like each other, but they get along kind of like family in a way. But when it comes to the point where Nathan Fillion ha- is put to the point where he needs to either decide save this guy or shoot him, he just fucking blows him away without hesitation. It's like that's my right. biggest laugh in the film. <laughs> it's it's a great it's a great moment. I mean, but then again, if you 
I mean, Lee, you know, you and I are friends. We're, you know, we're great people. If you were in that situation, I would absolutely shoot you through the head because, like, there's no coming back from that. Like, well, yeah, I hope I would hope you would. <laughs> yeah, I would hope you would do that for me as well. Uh, yeah. You know, for me, I think that kind of what you put your finger on, and and um, I mean, maybe this is again just kind of speaking to me. I feel like it's kind of got a lot of kind of touching on some stuff, some some interesting ideas that it kind of fails to execute or it fails to really yeah. do anything with. And so I was kind of watching it. And I'm like, what do I want to talk about with this? And I kind of realized I really just kind of want to bullshit with Lee and Paul about this. You know, like I don't, I don't want to go deep on this because the film isn't. I mean, it's the, the probably the one big thing that I think is interesting is that it. You know, you can kind of look at it as this like metaphor for, uh, you know, the abusive husband. You yeah. Know, the, you know, the monster in the bed sort of thing. You know, and, and towards the end, there's some. Really nice, not just uh, character moments and kind of acting moments between um, Rooker, who has to wear this ridiculous prosthetic, and then Elizabeth mm-hmm. Banks, who's I mean, great in that scene. But I mean, there is this kind of this kind of metaphor you could kind of draw out of it. But at the same time, the film isn't really about that. I mean, it's not it's not really. I mean, it's it's kind of using that as a plot device more so than it's really trying to look at that, you know what I mean? But I think that's also, that's also James Gunn. And I'm not, I mean, I'm not, that's not even really a criticism of the film. James Gunn is clever enough to be able to give you that hint of character, that Mm -hmm. hint of something that kind of grounds it in this kind of real world thing without losing the light touch. And I think that that's kind of the key to what like Guardians of the Galaxy was going to make a billion dollars doing a few years ago. <laughs> you know? um, is, is that ability to kind of like both kind of be emotionally resonant. And so I'm not, I mean, it's not even necessarily a criticism. It's just kind of like, well, if I'm going to sit here and podcast and I kind of want to like find some of these bigger issues, then I'm like, yeah, fuck it. Like it doesn't like they're, they're not, it's not exploring that. So I'm not going to, unless, yeah, I mean, if you get thoughts about it, maybe you do, you know, I will say you're right. Like it, it really doesn't dig into it too deep. I mean, it it just sort of hints at it. I mean, the Grant Grant character is he's an asshole. He's a possessive kind of. He's he's that sort of husband who has the sort of trophy wife almost. Like he, he's a really possessive, semi misogynist kind of guy. Well, he's definitely kind of abusive to his wife. I mean, you know, any, any anybody who's like you know, when are you ever in the mood? You know. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Kind of, and you know, and, and, circumstances. I mean, I, I understand the impulse, like, don't get me wrong, but, mm-hmm. uh, you know, to say it and then, like, not, like, apologize later or whatever, like, that's just total dick move, <laughs> like, you and, know. And he, he's presented this guy where eventually, and because uh, Elizabeth Banks' character is kind of presented as this sort of, you know, other side of the tracks kind of character who got mm-hmm. caught up in his, you know, his wealth, and mm-hmm. and it, it's kind of it's hinted, like, I, I guess I get the impression that the Michael Rooker character was, you know, in his youth, he was probably a jock at some point, and he, you yeah, know, sure. he was well, he was wealthy, and he's kind of the, he's kind of the manly guy who kind of thinks really highly of himself as a manly guy. I eventually could see this relationship if it went like ten years further down the road, becoming abusive, you know, like physically abusive. Yeah, yeah. Um, when Grant Grant gets infected by this alien creature, it essentially takes him over, but it, it absorbs some of his deep down feelings for, for Starla. Like uh, you, you get the impression that he does kind of love her, 
But oh, he, 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 he absolutely loves her. Yeah. Like, I, I completely, I mean, he's basically saying, like, I'm going to take over the rest of the world. Like, every living organism on the planet is going to be a part of me. But you, Starla, you're going to get to be separate because I love you. Again, it's sort of like it's there, and it's terrifying. Because, I mean, can you imagine, like, you know, your lover, your, your partner... <laughs> Um, becoming this monstrous thing, like who's already kind of an abusive dickhead, and then becomes mm-hmm. this monstrous thing and can literally control everything in your existence and just wants to have you by his side or by their side, you know? Like yeah. that's a that's a terrifying, terrifying idea. And the film really doesn't do much with it. And I think that's mm-hmm. kind of you know if I do have a disappointment with the film, and I'm not trying to shit on the film or say anything really negative about it. I think it is like it's you bring it up, but then you don't really execute it. Yeah. 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 It's such a fun movie, right? Like, you yeah. Know? But I mean, it's, it's interesting because the alien entity that basically takes over Rooker, like it, it is described as this entity that uh, his jump from planet to planet. And then that's the invasion of the body snatchers thing where it goes from planet to planet, absorbs that planet, wipes out that planet, moves on to another planet. The original invasion of the body snatchers, the pot of people are, emotionless drones that basically wipe out all emotion, all substance of personality, all individuality is gone. And this Mm -hmm. creature does do that to a certain extent, but it has encountered on Earth something it's never encountered on any other planet. It's absorbed an emotional context, a humanity that it's never seen before, apparently. And that is what is the biggest weakness for this creature because it, it kind of brings up the actual love that Grant Grant has for Starla. Right. And at the same time, it's interesting because it starts feeling those emotions and starts actually acting on them. And initially, Starla is kind of like interested because she's like, oh, he's starting to open up to me. He's, he's actually starting to show his We're emotions. actually having good sex again. That, that's yeah. great. You know, yeah. Yeah. I, I thought that was really great. Like, I really enjoyed that, and I liked that kind of twist on the invasion of the body snatchers. Oh, where and, and that is kind of the way that a lot of like sometimes abusive relationships work. Where you know, and and you know, I'll just you know, I'll use the gendered language. It typically is, you know, the dude you know starts to like, oh, I'm interested again. You know, I'm trying this new thing, or I'm manipulating you, or I'm you know whatever, and like you know. I'm stepping out on you and that makes me, you know, feel like more, mm-hmm. um, more manly. Therefore I want to have sex some more. And then I'm giving you more attention and, or I'm feeling bad about what I'm doing outside of my marriage. And so I'm having to, uh, you know, buy you things or whatever, and then lavishing you with extra attention. And then the other shoe drops and it turns out, Oh no, there was this, you know, I mean, th- again, there is, there is a metaphor there. Like you, you can't, like I was sitting and I was kind of looking at it and I was like, yeah, you could read this into this. Yeah. But I feel like the film doesn't really do a lot with it, except it does. I will say, the the creepiest stuff, the like the really like the the, the really effective horror stuff for me, is the um, the moments of the the other members of the the kind of collective talking to Starla in Grant's mm-hmm. voice. I think that's yeah. a really um, kind of creepy idea. The other really great horror stuff is just the the fucking people eating meat <laughs> uh, stuff like um i i you know the splatter stuff is a lot of fun i really love this kind of play on um the romero films actually and the um the way that the uh, the people in the basement you know for instance so i mentioned that yeah. sequence before they're sitting and they're eating meat but they're they're not unintelligent i, I think mm-hmm. that that's the 
it sells this horror because it's like, I know what I'm doing and I know I'm eating this disgusting, rotting thing or I'm eating another person or I'm eating roadkill. I'm like, but I can't stop myself. And I think that actually makes it even more kind of disgusting body horror than, you know, some like Night of the Living Dead where they're like ostensibly they're, they're just dead people that just need to feed. The yeah. idea that they still have intelligence, that they're still able to hold on conversation, but just say, I'm so hungry, I can't stop doing this. And then also being able to feel like the, the stuff growing inside them, the worms growing inside them and stuff. Legitimately creepy. Like, I mean, it, 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 it's fucking horrifying. I mean, just the just the idea that they can't control themselves. Like, once they get taken over, they're just compelled to do this. And they're disgusted by it. And they realize they're disgusted by it, but they're still doing it. And then eventually they, beca- they get to the point where, you know, Grant Grant can, the, the creature can talk through them anytime it feels like it. He can just take them over and basically use them as uh, an extension of himself. And there's a really good balance, I think, in this film. I mean, talk as much as you will about, uh, and I totally agree that it doesn't go too deep into sort of the central issues that it presents. But when you look on the surface of the balance between horror and comedy, yeah. There, there's some really horrific shit in this film, and yeah. there's some incredibly funny shit in this film at the same well, time. In the and probably the the best example of that is the uh, the Sphere Girl Brenda, you know, where mm. you know you kind of walk in, and um, there's a, a do you own this DVD? I would assume you own this DVD. Yes. There's a feature on the DVD where they actually talk about the um, uh, the makeup, like how they yep. were like does that design of that creature, and originally it was going to be a lot more of a kind of just, you know, a girl with a distended belly, kind of eating stuff and then they kind of graduate further and further and then it's like well, what do you want do you just want like a big sphere and he's like yeah do a big sphere and so they did a big sphere even in close-ups i mean she almost just looks like a wall you know <laughs> like yeah. when you first see the i mean the way it's shot and edited and the way it's lit and everything you know it's this uh horrific sequence but then you realize it's it's, it's a sphere with a face Mm-hmm. And then she's like literally like bouncing around, like <laughs> reaching yeah. out for the meat. But then you get the character moments where she's like, she's talking about how hungry she is. And then you get kind of what's going on inside and you get kind of the pain that she's feeling. And, and you know, you get all this stuff all in one. And so it's not like, oh, there's like this kind of moment of broad comedy. And then like, oh, and then we're going to do something horrific. It's all built into the same like moments, and I think that's what makes the horror comedy element of it work. Mm-hmm. It's, you don't get the sense that like, oh, and then we just use the humor to kind of like take you away from the the horror for a minute, and then we give you something else horrific. It's all kind of one thing, you yeah. know. And I think that sequence perfectly exemplifies that. And and this works for for me as horror because the thing I look for horror films like I'm at the age where shit doesn't really scare me when I watch a horror film. Like there there's very few films that really sort of get me. For the most part, you're looking for stuff, whether it's I'm watching a film or reading a horror story, I want something that's going to unsettle me and make me feel uncomfortable. This film does a great job because it builds up its characters in the initial sort of half hour or so, where you you, you get a feel for everybody, and you kind of like everybody in the cast, because they all feel like these kind of small town people that you and I know. Like, I, I was watching these people, and I totally believe these would be people living in my fucking town, honestly. And I mean, they're slightly, they're slightly satirically tinged, but I mean, you know, it doesn't, it doesn't bit, yeah. feel, it doesn't feel like it's. They're certainly not kind of local yokels, you know. They're, no. they're not, they're not like Cletus the Slack Chod yokels, sort of like you know, just. Yeah. 
they're tilted slightly towards the satirical, but it's it's they they still feel like kind of recognizable people. Mm, but but when I see some of them like after they encounter the Brenda character all bloated and stuff, and then some of them start dying off like really fucking quickly, it bothered me because I didn't want to see these characters die. Well, so. Brenda herself is a really like mm-hmm. tragic figure, I mean, because it's like what did what did you? I mean, she slept with this guy, and I mean, yeah, she knew he was married, and you know, yeah, she. I mean, but she didn't deserve that. I mean, no. you know, like, and and, um, and, she, and she had a baby, and, and even in her bloated uh, form, she was asking, what about my baby? Is my baby okay? And it's like, yeah, we yeah. took care of her, yeah. Uh, and, and Brenda James is actually a Canadian actor, actress that I uh, I like. <laughs> I, I've seen her in other stuff. Like, she was, nice. in, uh, she was in Brad Pitt's, I think, first movie, if not first horror movie, Cutting Class from the 1980s. Wow. <laughs> she was in that as well, so. Nicely done. Yeah, so I so I, I like I like Brenda James. Uh, she's still fucking hot today. She's in her fifties and she's smoking. She's like Julianne Moore, like yeah, hot, 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 hot. <laughs> Nicely done. Um, yeah, um, Jenna Fisher. Jenna Fisher's a lot of fun in this. I mean, she was yeah, she is. James Gunn at the time. She only has a couple of scenes, and I mean, she definitely looks like Pam from The Office, who just kind of walked in. I mean, you know, she was definitely filming that at this time, and you know, so it is kind of like you know. Same kind of character, but you know she's fun and she gets that uh, that little, you know, blood on the face kind of mm-hmm. horror shot. And so, yeah, no, I I, I like that. You know, it, it's yeah, nice. yeah. Um, well, I, 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 she wanted to be in a zombie movie, so she was like really excited to be in this. I guess when she got cast for it, you know. So right, yeah. yeah. Um, how did you feel about the sequence uh, with the the girl in the tub? The uh, the the worms kind of coming in. I liked it. It reminds me, uh, I think there's a couple other horror movie references to that as well. Uh, the biggest one that reminds me of is Nightmare on Elm Street with sure. the uh, claw coming out of the tub. I think it worked pretty well. Uh, yeah, yeah. No, I, I, to, to me, I kind of read that as like, oh, this is James Gunn proving he can make this sequence. You know, like, and like it's, that and goes, not in a bad way. I mean, uh-huh. it, it feels it feels very kind of like, oh, this is a movie, that's, this is a, a scene that's in horror movies. Yeah, and uh, that was one of the more horrific sequences as well in the film because she gets out of the bathroom, she runs into her family being taken over, like especially the two young two young sisters being uh, taken over by the uh, slugs, and there's blood all over the fucking walls, and there's slugs running over the fucking walls, and she runs out of her house, and her her dad comes out of the the front door being taken over, and she gets in that car, and then they go around the car. The possessed uh, the version of her family, night. the family fun night line, which I, I love. Yeah. That line. Um, and yeah, and, I mean, and you see Grant's sinister persona coming out, like yeah. in the creature. Like you really see the merger of the two personalities. Like you get the idea that maybe this creature was like the Pod People invasion of the Body Snatchers in previous planets, where it didn't have to deal with these emotions and higher intelligence. Where you know it was just taking things over unemotionally and moving on. Here it's like conflicted. So you see, initially it's trying to trick her into coming out of the car and being with her family and stuff. And when she's not complying, it's like, "You get out of there, bitch!" Like it, it gets right, really right. aggressive, right? Well, th- there's a sense in which it's like easier if you can like convince the person to come out. Like uh, you know, mm-hmm. it's 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 just easier to deal with. It's less like kind of energy intensive, you know, and so there is this kind of like we're gonna play the nice game at first, and then we're going to you know break through the glass. 
yeah, I, I thought that sequence was really good. And then the girl could have very easily have become a brief exposition device, and then they kill her. But she lives to the end of the film, which I think yeah. is a really nice uh, bit. In fact, uh, she was one of the characters I liked the most because she's kind of like, yeah, you guys are full of shit. Like, you know, <laughs> um, I, I love that part where it's like she saves him from the deer, and he's like, you know, if we live to tell the story, I'm I'm going to tell everyone I saved you from the deer, right? It's like, right, yeah, right. all right. Whatever. Fine. And the end, he says, you know, to tell him about that deer. Tell him about the thing with the deer. Oh, yeah, deer attached. Yeah, I saved her from a deer. Oh, it, really? Saved me from a deer, yeah. <laughs> um, yeah, no, it's, it's, a, it's a, you know, so, some nice character moments there. Yeah, it's it's a, such a fun little movie. And, uh, you know, it's... Uh, I, I briefly touched on it, the, the sequence at the end, where um, Elizabeth Banks is kind of approaching uh, Michael Rooker. Uh, you know, and um, she kind of has the mirror and she's got kind of put it in her panties and, mm-hmm. you know, is, is going to attack him. And the idea of, like, again, approaching the monster and, and that sort of thing, I think, is like that. Whenever I think of this film, that's actually the sequence I think of because it's such a kind of beautiful character. You know, the uh, I really like the way you've decorated the place, sweetie. You know, yeah. like that line is such a, like, such a, like, desperate attempt to, like, curry favor that it's, um, but it, it reads as so realistic. Um, you know, Elizabeth Banks is, uh, I've always well, yeah. kind of loved her as an actor. I think she's really, um, she's got this real presence. And this well, that, that's that deep-seated, uh, yeah, that's that deep-seated aspect of Rooker's character where he is this sort of regressed guy who is probably never, like, emotionally never gotten past being a 15 year old. So, I mean, he, he's doing right. shit that a teenager would do if he's love struck. Right. You know, and right, right. Over like a girl. Putting, up, putting up the photos and, you know, mm-hmm. that sort of thing. and you yeah. can imagine this like slug like creature, like, you know, having all the, you know, having all the minions. I mean, in, in, you know, one element, once he's got all the, all the minions who are like able to like go and grab her and stuff. I mean, they they'll, like take care of her. They're like, like, yeah, they're, they're like combing her, her, like, her hair and, and shit. And yeah. Her hair. And, um, I mean, this idea that, like, you can never get away from this guy. I mean, that doesn't mm-hmm. have, you know, in the age yeah. of, like, social media, like, harassment does not have any kind of resonance at all. <laughs> it's almost like I wish this was made today where you could, like, make it a little more explicit. But I really love, I mean, again, I really love that character moment. I really love the way that that, that plays. And, uh, I mean, I do think you've mentioned the Invasion of the Body Snatchers a couple of times. Mm-hmm. And I think that... Honestly, I think it's probably a good thing that the film doesn't do the invasion of the body snatchers, like yeah. who's who's an alien and who isn't sort of thing. Like you, yeah. you never really get that. Um, I mean, you know, except for Rooker himself, you know. But you know, we know that something's happening, so it's not like you know, oh, is he? You know, how are we? How are we? They don't play the ambiguity game with yeah. this. It's kind of like. You're either an alien or you're not, and, and there's never like a question, uh, which I think is um, probably clever, but it does kind of lose that kind of central like kind of a uh, the 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 conformers hiding among us sort of thing. You know, it never it never really plays with those kinds of ideas the way that like well, yeah you know, the alien the alien presence in this actually becomes a personality and becomes central instead of becoming an all-encompassing kind of uh just which which is interesting in that you know i mean you can read it as kind of the the alien is taking it like has never done this before mm-hmm. yeah, or you could read it like this is kind of what happens this is the process you know it's like oh well, yeah. you know, it kind of takes on whatever the aspect of the creature is that it's it's invading um but the idea of uh, like this one person rooker's character grant grant gains all this power and then the way that he decides to use it 
you know, and and like all he he did, fuck the rest of the world. All I care about is my wife, yeah. and obviously he's an abusive dickhead. And obviously we don't support his actions <laughs> in the film, but there is a there is a kind of emotional authenticity to that, and I like that. Yeah, it's it's really cool. Um, I, I think there's a lot of uh, like, like you said, and like I agree, like there's a lot of stuff this film could touch on deeper, but I think for what is presented it works really well there's a lot of really cool things in in this film that sort of set it apart from the sort of standard alien invasion kind of thing it's also I, like, I like 90 minutes long right i mean this isn't yeah yeah, yeah. i mean it, it, it moves I, I i like how uh james gunn who uh does not forget his trauma past uh had lloyd kaufman in this in a brief scene as a town drunk he has mm-hmm. no lines in the film like there's a feature on the actual dvd of uh him filming and his lines getting cut out and shit, <laughs> but right. uh, it's nice to see Lloyd in there. He's also in Guardians of the Galaxy, by the way, in the prison scene. He's Lloyd oh, Hoffman. is he nice? Yeah. And uh, one thing I want to mention, that I just sort of caught on to um, when Grant Grant initially attacks Brenda, like that scene, which is very rapey, you know, like where where the tentacles first come out of his body and go into mm-hmm. her. It's almost like it, it kind of brought me back to like Hammer Dracula, where there was the idea of, like, it started out as rape, but it becomes a sort of weird consensual thing where the woman feels... It's that overriding consent through, like, mind control sort of thing. Yeah, like, yeah, like, yeah. Like, which, A, is totally rape. Like, listen, yeah. to be clear about that. <laughs> um, but uh, is also uh, very much a... Um, yeah, no, you're right. I mean, so many of the supernatural stories kind of have that element to it and uh yeah i didn't i didn't quite think of it that way but i mean that's almost like date rape drug you know <laughs> like you know mm-hmm. with yeah, alcohol, yeah. You know, sort of because it, so. it's implied that he pumps his victims with something through those tubes right yeah, so and i mean it's not i mean it's it's like explicit i mean certainly by the end when he's like pumping nathan fillion full of alien semen you know they're, they're you know which spills out of his mouth like this has, yeah there's no <laughs> There's no subtext to this at all. We're just kind of... No, nothing, nothing at all. <laughs> the budget for this was uh, $15 million, but uh, that's sort of half of the story because after the marketing for this, it was $29.5 million. Oh, they spent, they spent a bunch on marketing, yeah. Yeah, and... Uh, I remember the marketing for this being pretty pretty hard to get away from. Mm-hmm. And like half of it was uh, trying to present it as a comedy and half of it was trying to present it as serious. And it kind of feels like maybe the audience was kind of deflated by that almost uh, because there, there really wasn't horror comedies at this time for quite a while. Yeah. So yeah. This was kind of uh, in the doldrums. This was kind of after, I mean, really, oh, um, another film I saw like that I, I watched with Shane, I'll just mention it now, The Faculty. Um, mm-hmm. Kevin Anderson, you know, which is very much kind of on that same like horror comedy kind of. Oh, fuck. You know. That that movie does not age well for me. I I I, 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 I liked it for the performances. Like I kind of let uh, idly kind of sitting on my phone and just kind of like eyeing in the background sort of thing. Um, but I also that was one that I actually really liked when I was eighteen and I saw it, you know, and I just I just kind of like it. I have an affection for it more than I like liked it, you know. Yeah. Um, Mechanically, it doesn't really work at all. But, but like uh, on a on a kind of like you know Kevin Anderson kind of wrote the. Is that I don't think Kevin Anderson wrote the screen movies. Yeah, 
Yeah, who also wrote that. Kind of wrote, uh, you know, Scream. I know what she did last summer, and then the faculty, and then like completely disappeared as far as mm-hmm. I was concerned. Um, kind of, he had his like three or four years of like relevance, and then basically had done it to death, and then that whole genre just died for a while. And yeah. so that was kind of bringing it back to some degree. So I understand it's kind of hard to market these things, especially like horror audiences. You know, I mean, let's frankly, let's face it, a lot of these films are marketed to you know teenagers who. Mm-hmm. you know, haven't seen this before, you know, you know, yeah. in 2006, you know, if you were 18 years old in 2006, you were 10 in 1998 when the faculty came out. So you weren't necessarily like thinking back to like, Oh, that movie that came out when I was a kid, you know, not saying like yeah. that was the immediate antecedent. And they're certainly not thinking back to night of the creeps or whatever. So I don't know. Yeah. It's, it's a genre that kind of relies on ignorance to some degree. And I think that's why you see so many shitty horror remakes. They're just made to make a quick buck. And and this isn't. I think even though I, I don't necessarily like love this film the way I used to, I still really enjoy it. And it's clear that this is like very, very effectively made. You yeah. know, it's, 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 it's doing exactly what it's trying to do. I just wish it had a little bit more ambition. I think that's kind of yeah. my, you know... Yeah, and its box office, unfortunately, was $12.8 million worldwide. So, you know, it, it be, be, basically because of the fucking uh, marketing budget, it really fucking sank. And, I mean, uh, that's, that's kind of a weird thing. Like, you see, like, you look at an IMDb, a lot of the times it's like, oh, the budget was this, and then its gross was this. They never, hardly ever factored, factor in the fucking marketing budget, which just... Yeah. You know. And, and for, for a modern movie, your marketing budget is usually, like, the size of your regular budget. Like, I mean, mm-hmm. you literally, if you spend $15 million on the movie, you're going to spend $15 million on the marketing. And, yeah. um, you know, so that that is definitely an aspect. Although this movie was hugely successful on DVD and stuff, so, I mean, I'm sure... I'm sure they made their money back eventually, you know. This has, I think this has potential to be like um, John Carpenter's The Thing or something like that on DVD where, you know, like maybe 10 years from now, it actually kind of becomes that kind of cult classic that everyone kind of reveres to a certain degree. Because I, I really like it. Like, I, I kind of hold that in that sort of regard, honestly. So I think I think people are kind of seeing it as a minor cult classic. I think especially with if James Gunn keeps making kind of big budget films, I think we're going to see mm-hmm. the way we see like Peter Jackson's early films, you know, <laughs> like, yeah. holy shit, the guy who made the Hobbit, you know, made bad, bad taste, <laughs> you know, like that's how we're going to see it to some degree. So, <laughs> so Daniel, uh, give us your multitude of plugs now. Just, just yeah, apparently. Run. So, so I have a bunch of podcasts. We started off talking about Dr. Who with my wife. Um, Spaceman.com. We also do Red Dwarf. We're doing some Firefly, also starring Nathan Fillion. We've only done one episode of that so far, but we're working on it. And uh, we have some. We have uh, a horror thing rock coming up. With um, that's a uh, Fourth Doctor Lula story, and uh, mm-hmm. I recorded that already. I just have to get that edited. That has a special guest who I think um, listeners to this podcast are going to like him. Um, a guy named Kit Gonzo who. Uh, I haven't talked to you about this off mic, Lee. You can look this if you want. I basically invited him to come on the show, and once you hear him, awesome. you're going to love him. Um, he appeared on Peck's Lives a couple of uh, months ago talking about Stephen King for a while. So um, Okay, okay, I know him then. Yeah, yeah, okay. Yeah, yeah. So, yeah, no, he, he definitely wants to come on, and, uh, you know, I, I, think, I, think, uh, I think our audience will like him. Um, and uh, as I mentioned before, uh, my wife and I are kind of alternating weeks. It's basically her column, but I'm going to be filling in when she can't do it. And we're talking about sex and gender and media representation and all sorts of things over at RubitorumPress.com. 
And um, I'm sure there'll be a link in the show notes, and you can uh, find us over there. And I just put up my first post today as we're recording this, talking about the fourth doctor and Leela in the context of a uh, dominant-submissive relationship. So Mm -hmm. go check that out if that's something you're interested in. Um, I've pitched an article which is talking about Blue Velvet, so we'll see if uh, that gets written at some point. Um, Kind of going into the details on... uh, selected scenes there and I think I think I'm going to write that eventually so uh, go go check all that out I'm, cool. I'm all over the place now uh, we're, we're coming up in the world they must be still <laughs> on site you know? I'm dragging the podcast down in terms of quality but up in terms of listeners and that's why you keep me around I know hey if, if we have to scrape from the bottom of the barrel I'm alright with that that's good yeah, yeah. Um, alright so uh if you want to find all of our stuff, of course, tmbdos.podbean.com. You can find all the links to stuff. But the best place to go, of course, is our Facebook page. They must be destroyed on site on Facebook. You can find uh, all kinds of interesting people there talking about interesting stuff once in a while. And yet that's the best place to get in contact with us and leave comments and questions, which we respond to all the time. I mean, we get so few that <laughs> we definitely respond to everything. So, uh Throw your voice in there. Uh, be part of the conversation. We're, we're definitely looking forward to that. Yep. Um, no, I, and uh, looking. Tell tell me how much I suck. I'm, I'm I, I really want to get a bunch of comments to tell me how terrible I am on this show. That's my... <laughs> and uh, depending on how things go, uh, the next episode might show up next week, and it will be Predator Two and Robocop Two. I've been pushing Fun. for this one for a while. This this is gonna be this is gonna be fun. I haven't seen Predator Two in like twenty years, so I'm. <laughs> we'll see. We'll see. I just always got Danny Glover, and it's in like future Los Angeles, nineteen ninety seven, and it's got like, drug <laughs> gangs and Bill Paxton and people hung from ceilings. That's all I remember about this. Film, yeah. So Bill uh, Paxton. Robocop Two. I have a pretty good memory of. I watched that one a bunch as a kid, but uh, Predator Two. I I don't I don't really remember. So I'm excited. Yeah. This is gonna be a lot of fun. Yeah, uh, so until then, we're going to go out. Um, I'm probably going to put a couple different songs in this. Uh, definitely the one from the uh, from the soundtrack is um, from the Yahoos, I guess. It's, it's it's the ending song in the fucking goddamn movie anyway. Uh, I, I I think it's I, I Love You or something like that. And sure. Leave Me the Fuck Alone or whatever the, whatever the goddamn song is. You'll hear it. Fuck you, people. Whatever, whatever music Lee picks. I'm sure he picks something great. Go listen yeah. to it. Yeah. So until then, guys, thank you very much for listening. Thank you, Daniel, for joining me. And we're going to fuck off now. We're fucking off. We're going to go fuck each other. Yeah. Bye bye.
Thank you for listening to They Must Be Destroyed on Site. For past episodes, links to the host's other stuff, and links to podcasts and websites of similar interest, please visit us at tmbdos.podbean.com. There you can also find links to us at iTunes and YouTube, as well as our Facebook group link, which is the best way to get in touch with us. We welcome all comments, questions, movie review suggestions, and criticisms, and we do our best to respond to everyone. You can also find us at Daniel's recently launched oispaceman.com, where you can find his sci-fi theme podcasts about Doctor Who and Red Dwarf. Thank you. Drive through.